I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. All right, hey guys, Eitan Weinstein here from Two Nice Jewish Boys, and today we're going to do a little crossover episode uh, with, with, Shmuel, a third. with a third nice Jewish boy, Shmuel Rosner of the Jewish Journal, and uh, your podcast is the Rosner Domain? Rosner's Domain, yes. Rosner's Domain. You do that with? I do that with the Jewish People Policy Institute, where I work as a senior fellow in the Jewish Journal when I'm the political editor. Cool. And uh, to Shmuel's uh, audience, just... Uh, uh, who we are. Yeah. Like, We're just two nice oh, Jewish right. boys. Yeah, two nice Jewish boys. <laughs> a little younger than myself, <laughs> I, I assume. A All little the future bit. in front of us. Wait, how, what decade? What decade? What decade was, are we talking I about? I was born in uh, nine, 1968. 68. Okay, so you got a few decades on yeah. us. <laughs> um, Naol Menninger. Is the, yeah, that's the young, nice Jewish boy sitting next to me, and I'm Eitan Weinstein. We're from the Two Nice Jewish Boys podcast. Um, also with the Jewish Journal. Also with the Jewish Journal. And we are here to talk about interesting things, because Shmuel, you're specializing... In interesting things. In interest, yeah, <laughs> that's like what you do in your CV. That's what it says, I think. And but, but you write a lot about American Jewry, Israel-American relationship, and you know we have dealt with that subject a lot on our show. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think yeah. Yeah, no, I I tend to treat this as the you know I write about the triangle: Israel, the United States, and the Jewish world. Right. That's the triangle. Yeah. And it. Who's yeah. at the top of the triangle? There's no top. It, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a triangle, but it circles. So I see. Okay. It's so a rotating triangle. Ro- exactly. You don't want to put it at the top. Otherwise, people might call you a conspiracy theorist. Look, I'm, I'm an Israeli. So for me, probably, well, I'm a Jewish Israeli. Yeah. So America is what I learned from, about from afar. Mm-hmm. I lived there for a couple of years. But I'm back in Israel, so uh, America is the foreign land for me. Uh, Israel and Judaism is more uh, is where I'm native. Where, where did that interest come from in the, in, in the United States? Because usually I feel like you have generally these American Israelis who are studying the relationship. Well, it's 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 a um, it's a strange story from uh, many years ago. I was. Uh, I was sent as a shaliach to work in a small Jewish community in Canada many, many years ago, back in the mid-90s. And uh, when I, um, my wife and I decided to go there, my English was not that well. Mm-hmm. So I decided not to take any books with me in Hebrew, just buy books over there and only read English to improve my own English. And the first book I happened to uh, to buy was a biography of President Truman, mm. and I thought it was fascinating. So my next book was another biography of another American president, and I became um, an avid reader of American history. Um, if you look, if if yeah. you look at the shelves behind me, you'll see the some of the volumes uh, I read. Um, and it became, you know, it became uh, first a hobby, and then ultimately uh, also a profession. So, from all this reading, what would your diagnosis be of the current state of affairs of Judaism in the United States? 
or the relationship between uh, the American uh, uh, um, the American political powers that be and the Jewish the Jewish world. Well, the, these are two different questions. Let me begin first by saying that uh, almost everything we read about is not as bad as people make it seem. Um, Israel diaspora relations, uh, you know, we, we have issues, uh, we have problems, some people even call it a crisis. Uh, ultimately, what I believe is that uh, American Jews have nowhere else to go other than supporting Israel because there's no other Jewish state they can support. They will not, you know, abandon Israel and, uh, um, you know, shift their support to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So they only have us, us and we only have them as uh, distant cousins or brothers and sisters. So there are difficulties, but uh, I assume we will overcome these difficulties. You never foresee the Jewish, uh, the American Jewish uh, uh, population severing its support by and large like you never see that as part as a consensus kind of saying we don't support israel no i i don't think that's possible and and also from all the studies that i read and some of the studies that i write what we see in american judaism is a very uh, close proximity between those who have strong jewish identities and those who have strong affinity or strong connection to israel these go hand in hand it's very difficult to maintain a strong Jewish identity while ignoring or or being uh, totally alienated from Israel. Israel today is such a powerful force in the Jewish world. It, it is such a dominant presence in the Jewish world that uh, having strong Jewish identity in the United States without any reference to Israel doesn't seem to me like a viable option. Maybe for some, you know, uh, uh, fringe Hasidic sects, it's mm -hmm. possible. But for uh, most American Jews, I don't think, I, I would not advise for such remedy, but I also don't think it's possible. But there seems to, I mean, I growing up in the States, I definitely got the sense that you know that that in Jewish education there is uh, uh, an education of Israel, and it's kind of inherently uh, intertwined. But there is some somewhat of a separation. I mean, there's a difference between the Jewish education and Israel education, and and it's separated. And I, I'm I mean, where I went to school, it was a modern Orthodox school, but. I'm imagining that in other places in the United States, there, that separation is growing wider. You you don't like see maybe maybe it would never be completely severed, but you don't see that that uh, that um, that separation growing into uh, um, something that's a complete rift, inevitable a rift. Yeah. Well, first of all, maybe what you're just describing is is part of the problem maybe the fact that uh, Jews tend to focus on Israel as a political issue, whereas they focus on Judaism as a spiritual or, or religious issue, that's part of the problem. Israel and Judaism are, are 
part of the same culture that we Jews all have. Uh, Judaism was never just a religion. It was never just uh, just the sense of, of having a, a country or, or being a nation. It was always a combination of many things. And um, keeping it as such combination in, in American Jewish education, maybe that's part of the challenge that we face. How do we make Israel part of the Jewish curriculum and not something that is separate? You know, when you talk about Israel, you talk about Zionism and occupation and the issue of the Western Wall. And we talk about Judaism, you talk about uh, Tikkun Olam and Bible and, um, and maybe, Talmud. Maybe the ancient Israel, but kind of there seems to be this like this clear separation between, you know, the, the ancient homeland of the Jews and the, the homeland that arose after 1948. And there seems to be this like, I don't know, some, some kind of distinction. Like they don't, there's, no, I mean, I guess it's that, big 2000 year block in the middle right. but but in the in in i think the average american jewish mind or at least from the teenage perspective because that's where i came from when i was growing up in the united states there's there's it's there's not one fluid uh thing it's just kind of there was ancient israel and then there's like the modern israeli state so maybe uh your history teacher didn't do yeah. a good enough job this is all part of a continuum that is that is the Jewish story. Yeah. Uh, Zionism in Israel is not something that is separate from Jewish history. It's it's part of it. It's an interesting part of it. It's it's one of the responses of um, the Jewish culture and the Jewish people to the crisis that began with the modern era. You know, the modern era um, with the beginning of the modern era, Jews faced uh, 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 an identity crisis. They needed to reinvent Judaism in a way that will make it fit into this new, this new time, this mm -hmm. new global trend. And Zionism is one of the answers that were offered. You know, there is a whole variety, a whole... Uh, a menu of different responses to this crisis reform judaism you know the late 18th beginning of the 19th century orthodox judaism all these are responses to the same crisis and zionism is also a part of the part of the answer that we have for for this crisis how can you be jewish in modern times well one answer is if you live in Israel, you can, because mm -hmm. you can live secular lives. You can live in a society that is modern in the political sense, you know, a country like all other countries, a democracy, a country with uh, the rule of law and with a, a parliament and a prime minister, but also a Jewish state. So it's, it's, it's one of the solutions that were offered to this uh, identity crisis or existential crisis that the Jewish people had to deal with uh, about uh, 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. I want to get us to the subject of um, Pittsburgh because um, I don't know how it was, um, how people here in Israel felt about it exactly. I mean, I know I have friends there and I, I 
the first thing I noticed, it, this didn't happen in Texas, you know, it didn't happen in Nevada, it happened in Pennsylvania, which which was a little bit weird, and in Pittsburgh. Um, and and my question to you, I guess, is what's the aftermath of it? And maybe it's horrible to say, but maybe it was a long time coming. It was only a matter of time until it happened, and and now it's only a matter of time until it happens again. And what can be done about it, if at all? Well, you asked many questions. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one, how did people respond to it? Well, they, they were sad. Most Jews that I know uh, were mostly sad about this. Uh, Jews were murdered for no apparent reason by a madman. It was not really a madman, but a, an extremist. Um, and you know, it was, it was just sad. As to whether this was long time coming, yes, it was. And, and we are now counting until the next attack on Jews. The attacks on Jews are part of our history. Uh, if anyone thought that history somehow was going to skip this generation or to skip a certain geographic area, they were apparently wrong. Attacks on Jews are part of the story of Jews everywhere. Um, Only until not so long ago, you couldn't do much about it. Now you can pack your things and there's a place you can go to. Well, there are many attacks on, on Jews in Israel too. It's not as if uh, here we have our safe life and people in America are being killed every day of the week. In fact, um, many Jews would argue not without reason, that being Jewish in Boston is still more safe than being a Jew in Jerusalem in many ways. Or certainly, uh, if you live uh, not far from uh, the Gaza Strip, um, you know, your life is, it is, it is, uh, it feels much more threatened on a daily basis than the lives of Jews in, in San Francisco. So the fact that there is an attack on Jews somewhere should not come as a huge surprise or as a huge shock. Uh, these things happen, they happen throughout her history and they will probably continue to happen. On top of that, we should, you know, we, we, could, we cannot ignore, you know, the, the culture of America. This is part of a horrific American culture of attacks on public places. Um, you know, just a week after after the synagogue in Pittsburgh, we had a bar in uh, the uh, in Los the Angeles. valley in, in, but, but in Los Angeles. It was just a random one, another one of the many, as you say. Um, yeah, but, but you have you, mass you have, shootings. Mass shootings. You, you have sh you have attacks on churches. You have attacks on gay bars. You have attack on rock concerts. You have attacks on universities. Yeah, but that's not ours, right? That's not ours. You feel... Do you think there is a distinction, like a clear distinction between anti-Semitic attacks and these mass shootings that are happening across the United States? Or do you think that they can kind of be painted with the same... I'm, I'm not sure there is. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. Clearly, this person who attacked a synagogue had his own bizarre reason to attack a synagogue, but... The same can be said about a person who attacks a bar, certainly a gay bar. You know, the, 
the attack on a gay bar in Orlando, uh, Florida, a few years ago. This was a hate crime against gays. So people are attacking gays or attacking Jews or attacking black churches. These are all hate crimes. Um, yes, we, we know that some people hate us. We know that at the fringes of American society, there are people with the intention and the means and the radicalism that is necessary to initiate such attacks. And we should be expecting such attacks, not, not to agree with that, not to, uh, we, we have to prepare, we have to have security, we have to have intelligence, we have to use all means necessary to prevent such attacks. But to assume that we can skip such trend and everybody else is going to be attacked only Jews will will get a free pass. But isn't yeah, it that maybe would be, that would be extra hopeful? Isn't there maybe something deeper in this attack? Doesn't it signify more than just what you're saying? Because I don't know. I I look at it and I I ask big questions like, are are Jews wanted in America at all? And uh, you know, it makes me think about those very. Maybe it's just me, but what's their place in America? Is it their country? What is their future if they're going to to arm themselves and have guards at the entrance to every synagogue? What kind of a life is it for for American Jews? Well, well, I, I must say that I see no indication that Jews are no longer wanted in America. I don't see. Look not just at the attack. Look at the response to the attack. The response was an overwhelming support by Christians and Muslims, by blacks and whites, by politicians from all corners. The, the mayor of the city and the governor of the state and the president of the United States, everybody was um, vigilant in condemning the attack, in telling the Jewish community that it will get the protection it needs, that there are fringe elements in American society that are capable of horrific acts that we know. We saw it time and again in, in different corners of the country, in different places against many institutions. I would not take this one attack and, and turn all American society, you know, be suspicious of all American society. American society, generally speaking, it was good to the Jews of America. It is, it is, in um, you know, it, it's a free, tolerant society. Yeah. It's a tolerant society. It's a it's a pro-Semitic society, and you know, fringe elements. There are mm -hmm. uh, law. You know, law and law forces um, that should be dealing with them. So I wonder. A lot of people, you know, when this happened and when these kind of events happened in, in the past, you know, like to bring up the political aspect and talk about the fact that you know President Trump uh, lightly pandered to the or or heavily pandered to the. 
uh, uh, certain fringe elements of American society in the election. They voted and, from his, for him, maybe and, some of them. Yeah, and and that his rhetoric throughout the years um, and his actions against certain communities by putting a ban on Muslim travel, for example, or, you know, um, the list goes on and on. They like to point to that and say this is all kind of been uh, bubbling and boiling and this is the culmination these attacks are kind of the inevitable outcome of his uh, leadership what what do you say in response to that if if there is any responsibility or if this is just kind of people politicizing look the we we can see the the political tense within american society and clearly president trump is not trying to calm things down He's uh, riding this wave of of tension. I don't think he's the. Um, I don't think he initiated it. I think he's the result of it in many ways. There was tension before him. Um, Trump was elected, at least partially, because uh, groups within American society felt that they don't have enough of a voice, and they chose him. And, you know, I might agree or disagree with their choice. I'm not an American citizen, so I don't tend to lecture Americans on the people they choose to be their leaders. He is the leader of the United States of America, and I understand that some people feel with um, reasonable evidence that he does not do enough to um, to calm the waters, to... to uh, to let the fringe remain fringe, uh, to make uh, America more wholesome and tolerant and all these nice things that we would like to see in America. On the other hand, I don't think President Trump uh, wants Jews to be attacked. I don't think he has one anti-Semitic bone in his body. And I think it is a very problematic thing for the Jewish community to force the President of the United States into the corner of the anti-Semitic camp. I do not want the Jewish community to push President Trump away from the community and onto the hands of uh, people who dislike Jews. So, again, you know, I, I live here. I do not play the American political game. I'm not, I don't feel a part of it. But I do, I am an avid reader of Jewish history. And I think that um, when the American president clearly is not anti-Semitic, He's surrounded by Jews. His daughter is Jewish. He has Jewish grandchildren. Political differences aside, uh, differences over his style aside, I would not make him responsible for something for which he is clearly not responsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he never came out quite and said i mean there, i was listening the to Jews. yeah I was listening to ben shapiro the yeah. other day and he point he likes to point to the fact that if nobody um 
if nobody, if a politician doesn't come out and explicitly tell you, go commit this attack, then it's not quite really, you can't put any responsibility. Well, I, I think, I think it's much more than that. Look, his response to, uh, to the uh, um, parade in Charlottesville was uh, unfortunate. It mm -hmm. was not, it was not, he did not respond properly uh, to, to the incident back then. And I think many Jews um, became more suspicious of, of him be, because of that. Now, the fact that President Trump does not always respond in a proper manner to things that happen in America, this alone should not make us believe that he is anti-Semitic. I think his response to the attack in Pittsburgh was spot on. He said all the right things. He uh, came for a visit. You know, some people demonstrated against him. Still, he decided and was insistent that he would come and visit the synagogue. I, I would not expect an American president to do anything more than what President Trump did following the attack in Pittsburgh. But isn't there a connection between mass shootings, guns, extreme right-wingers, Republican Party, people who vote to Trump? There is some alignment there, right? The fact It's that, not his fault that these people vote for him, but... Well, but and it's not... A, you know, gun culture in America did not begin with President Trump... And True. I don't, I don't see much chance that it will end with President Trump, or that it uh, will end at all. Gun culture in America is something we are familiar with from many years ago. Mass shootings in America is something that we've seen uh, when uh, Barack Obama was president, when George Bush was president. Uh, the Oklahoma City bombing uh, was not during the time of President Trump, so. Do do you blame uh, President Clinton for the uh, for the Oklahoma city bombing? There are no, but you can blame elements in America, and they behave in reprehensible ways. And of course, you you'd want American presidents to do everything within their power to stop these attacks. And I would accept the argument that President Trump does not do as much as he can to prevent these attacks, nor did any of his Right, Obama also didn't. I didn't see Obama taking any guns from anyone. I don't know to recall so, so, so collecting guns. Again, you, you, if you say American politics in general, American gun culture in general, the inability of our politicians or even the insistence of right-wing American politicians on giving everybody guns is partially to blame for these attacks. Okay, that, that I understand. But singling out President Trump to make this about him is something that I, I feel... I think it's more what he represents to them. To people like, for example, American Jewry who blame him, right? He represents something. It's not that they think that he, he is to blame, like you said, but he represents something, right? And that something correlates, maybe. So, yeah, I understand the argument, but I feel that the utilization of such 
um, horrific attack for political purposes that are not necessarily or strictly connected to fighting anti-Semitism uh, is something that I would be careful with. It's funny, though, that when you, when, when you hear people talk about how Trump holds part of the responsibility, you never really hear about the people on the left who are blatantly anti-Semitic and the left kind of never really really uh, condemns like Louis Farrakhan and Linda Sarsour and all those, these people, you know, like that are calling Jews the spawn of Satan and mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of shaking hands with Keith Ellison and even Obama has a picture with one of them, but I don't know his relation. Well, well with, if, if tomorrow, but, and let's all hope that this will not happen, but if tomorrow a, a radical from the left uh, will attack uh, a gathering of Jews. Are we to blame all uh, American politicians on the left for encouraging, um, yeah. condoning such attacks? I, I think the, it's a very delicate, um, it's a very delicate issue, and I think it is better for us to um, to be exact, to be accurate when we talk about these incidents. And, and not to make them, uh, not to use them uh, to advance political goals who have nothing specific to do with anti-Semitic attacks. Yeah, but that doesn't seem the way that things are going in the States. It seems like things are just getting more and more divisive and that it's not heading where, anywhere good. Well, we, we know that in America, and this is true for Israel as well, there are many issues that, um, um, that people politicize for various reasons. Uh, it's not for the benefit of society. It's not for the benefit of the country. It might be for the benefit of some politicians. Mm -hmm. This is what they do. And we have to uh, stay alert and you know, remind, me, remind them that this is not something that we as citizens or as uh, uh, members of uh, these societies uh, would tolerate. I, I can't help but think about that, I don't know, Moshe from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I <laughs> There's like from. maybe one Moshe from <laughs> Birmingham, Alabama. But a Moshe that goes to, to the synagogue and how does it feel for him now, right? Because in the end of the day, there's nothing he can do, right? It just feels worse, I guess. Yeah. And even if that feeling isn't necessarily uh, legitimate, like even if there's, I mean, not legitimate, I'm not going to legitimize it, but if, even if it doesn't have any like foundation in reality, I mean, even if there, he doesn't experience any more danger than before. It just feels. But he does feel. Fucked yeah. up. You know, you go to church, you, uh, to, to the synagogue. You, you got to look behind your back. I, I bet they didn't up until now, and now they do. So, Maybe so, some. So again, looking, looking yeah. at patterns of, of Jewish history, we know that when such attacks occur, there are basically two responses that we see. The people who have stronger identity, stronger Jewish affiliation, such attacks make makes them even more Jewish. They feel okay. This week we have to go to the synagogue. It's a 
it becomes a statement. It becomes more important. It's not just about going to synagogue to say a prayer. This is about going to synagogue to prove that we Jews, we, we will not surrender to terrorism or to, or to anti-Semites, etc. So that's one kind of response. Um, the other, the mirror image of it is Jews who do not feel highly connected to Judaism or to their Jewish identity and they will respond by weakening even further their attachment to the Jewish community because they feel it's dangerous. So maybe, maybe if they uh, used to go, I don't know, once a year or three times a year to a synagogue, they'll say, okay, it's only three times a year. Let's skip it this year. It's not that important to us anyhow. And if it's even 2% more dangerous than what it used to be, maybe it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So, Pretty so sad. What, yeah, so what you see is, is in some way uh, another um, um, in, instance of polarization mm-hmm. for Jews for whom Judaism is important, anti-Semitism makes them more Jewish, more, you know, more stubborn in keeping the Jewishness. We are a stiff-necked people. So right. when, when, we, we, when we are attacked, we would like to prove that we are still here. For other people, yes, this will be a, a reason to... If you look at France, there was a huge community. There is still a huge community there. But then when the first attacks happened, there were, I bet they were pretty stiff about it. But slowly but surely, more and more flee now as the attacks grew more frequent. But that's different. What he's talking about, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, is, is kind of a shedding of identity. Meaning the, the Jews that, it's not like they're fleeing to Israel. Maybe there, are, there is a no, certain th- those percentage. Who come, th- those who come to Israel have strong, these are people with strong Jewish identities who no longer feel that they can express their identity properly where they live. So they say, okay, we can do it in France, but it's highly important for us, so we'll do it in Israel. Mm-hmm. But some people can just choose the, the, you know, the fading out. Yeah, of course, and with assimilation, it's even easier. It's easy. You, nobody has to know that you are originally Jewish. So, right. so for people for whom it's not at all important the fading out, the disappearing, you know, quiet disappearing well, is, is that, a reasonable we alternative. Anything. We can do anything about it, I guess. Like, that's, if that's what people choose to do, that, that's what they'll do. How did um, the... I'm, I'm wondering if you have any insights on how, did, how the, the shooting uh, affected the midterm elections, which happened shortly after, and if there was any effect on the Jewish vote within the midterm elections, if you think that there was any effect, because I'm not sure there's any kind of hard way to, to, to measure it. but I'm not sure if it had huge effect on the Jewish vote, but maybe it did. Uh, what we know, we, we had the, um, a fairly uh, comprehensive survey done by J Street right after, the, uh, right after election day, and, and their surveys are usually quite reliable. And what we see in this survey is first of all that a vast majority of Jews voted Democratic and, and we are talking about uh, numbers that are slightly higher than what we've seen in previous midterm elections. It's, uh, I 
think it's 76%. It used to be 70 or, or 68%. So we see that the, the, the percentage of Jews voting Democratic uh, uh, slightly increased this time. We also see, and I think this is a very serious finding, that 72% of American Jews do blame Trump partially for the attack in Pittsburgh. So That's because they didn't listen to you on this podcast yet. May, maybe, but, but this leads me to the conclusion that it's, it's possible that some Jews who were not sure what they are going to vote, um, you know, shift in the, move in the democratic direction following following the attack in Pittsburgh. I, I assume that most Jews decided to vote Democratic long before the shooting. So we just had a power outage. I feel like it was divi- divine intervention. We need to look yeah. back on what exactly you were saying at the moment yeah. of the outage and read into it way too much. Um, yeah, I said that maybe 2 or 3% of all Jews decided at the last moment following the attack in Pittsburgh to vote for a democratic candidate. Yeah. Now we just need to decide whether that's divine agreement or divine objection. Yes. <laughs> we that have no idea. Happened. That never <laughs> happened. <laughs> All right. So, so you're saying maybe there was a bit of a shift in the democratic direction following, but it wasn't necessarily because of the shooting. It might have just been this general atmosphere. I, 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 look, the, the Jewish, most Jews in America vote democratic in every election. We know that. Uh, there, are, there are small uh, shifts within the Jewish population. And I think this time, you know, the nation, generally speaking, moved in the democratic direction. So the Jewish community also moved slightly more in the democratic direction. I, I would not make this, I, I don't think there's a huge uh, change uh, in, in the Jewish vote in this election. Um, Again, yeah. it's it's just Jews do what everybody else does, and since most of them are Democrats anyhow, uh, they got a few more percentages uh, this time around. And in the end of the day, to be pessimistic, it doesn't really matter, right? Like you say, the next shooting is just a matter of time. No matter, even if Bernie is the president, uh, I guess that's very pessimistic. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But that's how I feel. I feel so pessimistic. I don't know why. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Like I, I look at it, and big things like gun control in America, the state of anti-Semitism in America. These are things that won't change, right? So you either live with it or you don't. Were, were you here in Israel during the Second Intifada? Yeah. When when we had buses um, explode, you know, on a yep. daily basis or a weekly basis, yep. and people kill day in and day out in their hundreds right tell you what the difference it's, is though and you compare to the gaza now when we talked about no what, what i say that societies must have backbones they cannot surrender to incidents of violence incidents of violence occur in all societies but here Americans you know that are, many are, people work really hard at least to try and do something about it right and in america as an American Jew, who's who's looking after you so that the next time you go to the synagogue, there won't be a shooting? Nothing. It's just a matter of but pure chance. I mean, it's it's it, these these events seem to me 
to have a much wider impact on our general feelings than they should. Because, I mean, with all due respect, it's a tragedy. But statistically speaking, it's a drop in a pond. Like, it's not, there's there's an attack on a yearly basis. I mean, the Jewish and, community. We need to wait and see. What I'm saying is I don't think it's as ever as bad, like, you know, I guess this brings us full circle, as Shmuel pointed out at the beginning of the podcast. It's never as bad as it seems, as people like to make it seem to be. And right. especially today with the 24-hour news cycle, everybody's trying to make it, you know, no, and, more dramatic. What, what, you, look, the, the real test, if this becomes a more frequent phenomenon, this will be a real test uh, both for American society to protect its Jews and for the American Jewish community. But do you predict that it will become such a... I do not predict such thing. No, okay. I, I, I don't think attacks on Jews are... I don't see any signs that attacks on Jews are about to become a frequent, uh, something that, that is uh, uh, frequent and, and on like daily or weekly basis. Uh, but if this happens, measures will be taken. You know what you need. By, by law enforcement agencies and by the Jewish community to protect it itself. And you know what they're going to need to protect guns. themselves? <laughs> guns. They'll need guns. <laughs> the Jewish cowboy. No, because you mentioned gun control. They're going to need guns to protect themselves. I see, they I need see. Shooting, uh, ranges, you know, where, where yeshiva boys just practice. Shooting swastikas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening. I mean, but because a lot of people like to compare, especially when these shootings happen, uh, the uh, especially the anti-Semitic ones, the state of affairs in the United States to to like it always comes up the whole Nazi Germany comparison and Trump and Hitler. And, you had eggs thrown at you. Yeah, but eggs thrown at you is different than you know a tyrannical dictator burning down. Uh, yes, but it's not that different from opponents. mass shooting. No, but that, uh, yeah, it is different because these are fringe elements that are going you know nuts and something and and what happened in the 30s in Germany is like is a. a, a completely different say, no i know i'm saying for the that, protocol i never that said i, th- Nazi I know Germany i know, I know. i'm discussion. just saying <laughs> that i think that that people like to exaggerate a lot more than than it than usually usually it's not as bad as... Look, look, I'll, I'll 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 say two things first of all i'll urge both of you to listen to the podcast i uh recorded a week ago with professor yakov lozowik who used to be He's a histor- an Israeli historian. He was the chief archive, um, the, the chief of the archives of Yad Vashem. So he's an expert on the Holocaust and on anti-Semitism. And we spoke about Pittsburgh and he said, look, the, the people who, who compared this to 1933 or 1938 don't know what they're talking about. There, there's no comparison. The fact that we, you know, in our world, of black and white, we only know um, a, an ideal situation or Nazism. There, as if there's nothing in between. It's either completely, it's either perfect or it's Hitler. No, there, 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 there are many areas of gray. And Fifty I th- Shades of Hitler. It's the Tsar's Russia. It's not, it's not the Tsar's <laughs> Russia because, because in all of these examples, 
the government was the perpetrator the perpetrator or silently supportive of the perpetrators mm-hmm. which we do not see in the United States not even a hint of it right the American government works against anti-semitism law enforcement agencies work against anti-semitism it's a completely different situations so that's that's uh, uh, one thing it's it, it this is very important to remember uh, that that we cannot always compare everything to to Nazi Germany it's a habit of That all Jews developed and it's a bad habit it's a bad habit so we have, you get a scratch from time that to we, time. we have it in Israel too you know whenever whenever someone doesn't like you know some right-wing legislation we immediately move from Israel the only democracy in the Middle East <laughs> to fascism is coming you know fascism yeah. is upon is just yeah just behind the door and There are, there are shades of, as you said, shades of fascism, shades of everything. I- Israel is not becoming fascist. It's yeah. not a theocracy. Uh, America is not going to become like Germany. Maybe someday in the distant future, but we don't see any signs of such thing. And it's better for us to remain somewhat more calm. But that doesn't make good for a good headline. Or a good podcast episode. You know? Mm, I'm just... sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I think that that's one of the big motivators behind this. Right. The yeah, fact it's... that we all... And it's, it's not like... You can't just blame the news cycle and the media outlets. Because it, it comes from a certain... No, it's not like, the news, it's internal, us. Internal, yeah, us. need for drama. And we all want to hear that the end of the world is right around the corner. Right, yeah. So I prefer calm and perspective to drama... And again, I must apologize to you if this makes our uh, podcast <laughs> no, no, no. a little boring. I think, I think it's good. Now we're much calmer. Yeah. Well, I was calm. Yeah. You were freaking out. I was freaking He out. He was sweating. <laughs> But now, now I'm, I'm better. Um, so, plugs. Plugs. <laughs> That's very blunt. Yeah. But this, uh, our po- both our podcast and Shmuel's podcast, Rosner's Domain, Uh, are made in collaboration with uh, the Jewish Journal guys. So check them out at jewishjournal.com. Shmuel Rosner has a column there, right? right. You write for them. I write for the journal every week. The column is in the, under the same name, right? Rosner's, Rosner's Domain. Rosner's Domain, right. Right, we'll put links. It's, it's a name I'm, I've, I've been taking with me since uh, 15 years ago when I started writing in English. So, so it's, it's aged. It's aged. It's like a fine exactly. wine. <laughs> on, on Twitter, I'm also Rosner's Domain. Okay. So check it out, guys, jewishjournal.com. And, and uh, we accept donations. So if you uh, want to help us out, we're at twinjb.com slash donate. And what else? That's it, right? Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's hope for a um, great uh, November, December. The uh, win- winter holidays are upon, upon us. us yeah. Hanukkah is just three weeks away. But so. before Hanukkah... There's, a, there's a, another great holiday, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is which coming. Is, which is <laughs> yeah. so much here, better here in my Israel, book. Here in Israel, we don't celebrate. We, don't so we do it. We still Maybe do it. Yes, we brought it over. I'll get an invitation because last year... <laughs> I know. Some, some, Ameri- some Americans uh, in Israel do celebrate it. It's the best holiday ever. I don't like turkey. Okay. <laughs>
Oh my god. And on this note, <laughs> we'll end this episode. Thank you so much. Shmuel. Thank you, Shmuel. It was my pleasure. Thank you for coming. Bye. Bye, guys.